Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. One day, a very wealthy father took his son on a trip to the country for the sole purpose of showing his son how it is to be poor. They spent a few days and nights on a farm of what would be considered a very poor family. After the return from the trip, the father asked his son how he liked the trip. It was great, Dad, the son replied. Did you see how poor people can be? The father asked. Oh, yeah, said the son. The son answered. I saw that we have one dog and they had four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden and they have stars that light up their yard. Our patio reaches to the front yard and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, buy our food but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us. They have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless, and then the son added, it showed me just how poor we really are. A modern-day parable. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two parables. They're going to teach us about God is the one who looks. God is the one who looks. And we will notice that in the following two parables, Jesus Jesus explains the fundamentals of God's relationship to people. Here we go, let's read the parable. The parable of the lost sheep and coin, Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. By the way, in the original language, that word parable is single, singular. So the three parables that follow are actually all in Jesus' mind. One of it is one parable, but we're only going to look at the first two parts of that parable. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Take a moment and look around the room and find the sinner that needs to repent. The parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. 
In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, before we jump in and take a look at this parable and what Jesus is teaching through parable about who God is, before we jump in, there's something that we need to understand about the Bible, and it's this, that the Bible you read is written as an Eastern book. It is not a Western book. It's Eastern. And in Western books, in Western literature, we come at it with a Western mind and we will read a Western book and essentially what we want to know is about God, just give me the facts. Give me the facts about God, give me the formulas for God and then I'll serve him. The incredible thing is, whenever Jesus teaches about God, he almost always uses parables. It's very fascinating. He doesn't sit up front and say, here's three facts you need to know, and here's the formula. If you get this down, all's good. He doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, in the East and in Eastern literature, there's a belief that if I just give you the facts and I give you the formulas, you don't really learn it. What you're called to do in Eastern literature is to listen to stories. And through listening to stories or parables, you begin to insert yourself in the story or in the parable, and you begin to discover the truths that are buried there. Does this make sense to everyone? And so when Jesus teaches on God, almost always, he'll begin to tell a story. And in the West, we sit there and go, now just give me the formula and the facts. Jesus goes, it's not how it works. I'm going to tell you a story. Do you have a friend like that where whenever you're with them, you ask them a question, they go, let me tell you. And you go, oh, here we go again. Just get to the point. Well, you'd have been real frustrated as a Westerner to be around Jesus. Because if you ask him a question, he's going to tell you a parable. Now, in our story, what we discover is, is that Jesus tells these parables because of a context. And the context matters. So the context is given to us in Luke 15 too. Let's read it again. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So let's push the pause button. Who are tax collectors? Tax collectors are the absolute worst sinners in all of Israel. These are Jews who have come into employ under the Romans. They take money from righteous Jews and they give it to Rome. They are the most hated people in all of Israel. And then it just simply tells us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So there were several brands of sinners, most notably tax collectors, but there were others as well. Then in verse two it says, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, if you've never read the Newer Testament, that's fine, I'd encourage you to do so. But if you have, you know full well that Jesus is constantly rubbing up against or having conflict with Pharisees. Why? Let's talk about this for a moment, it's important. Pharisees. Pharisees are religious leaders who have a belief. And their belief is this, they believe that if all of us would live according to the law of Moses, then God's presence would visit people all over the nation of Israel, but in a very specific way. 
Pharisees look at the temple in Jerusalem and they look at the Sadducees who are running the temple and they discern that the temple's now beyond corrupt. It's totally corrupt. So what they do is they say, well, if we take the temple moral codes for the priests that work in the temple and we all live by them, then God will visit all people everywhere and our homes will become a place of God's presence. Sounds good in theory, right? But the issue is, what they start doing is, they start becoming the ethical, religious, moral police. And what they do is, they check everyone's behavior because if someone is sinning and we're in this together, then God's presence is going to go over all of us and we're gonna miss it, we won't get it. So I'll give you an example. This is Pete Bulet up front. Pete, you have a great name, by the way. So this is Pete up front, and Pete and I are friends. Let's just say for sake of argument, this is not true about Pete, but let's just say that it is. Pete is a tax collector. He's just the worst of the worst of the worst. His children are loving this right now. They're grinning from ear to ear. Dad's the worst, first time ever. But let's say Pete is a tax collector. Look, for me as a Pharisee, I have an issue with Pete. It's not so much that he's a tax collector, it's that his sin is keeping me and the rest of our community from experiencing God's presence. And if he would get his life turned around and he would live right, then God's presence will visit all of us. You see, in the Bible, the community matters. Individualism is new in the West. It was unheard of in the East. You lived in community. So as long as Pete's a tax collector, then God's presence will not visit us. So there were tax collectors. You'll see other places in the, in the Gospels where Jesus ate with tax collectors and the female version of that, which would have been prostitutes. And he would break bread with them and he would eat with them. And the religious elite were freaking out because you can't do that. You have to rebuke them. You have to get rid of them. You have to ostracize them, get them out of your relational web, and then maybe God will bless you. Now what the text tells us is that Jesus was breaking bread with, he was eating with people like Pete. Now here's the other thing you need to know, is let's say, let's switch the metaphor, let's say Pete is a thief and he stole from me. If Pete and I sit down to eat a meal, that's a public announcement that Pete and I are now right with each other. In the East, that's how that works. Still works to this day. If Pete and I are not in good relational terms, we will never ever eat together. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have massive problems with Jesus. He is sitting down with people who are clearly sinners, and he's breaking bread with them, which means he's right with them, and they're right with him, and that's a massive problem. And so the teachers of the law and the Pharisees look at Jesus, and they say, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. By the way, the context of welcoming is, is that Jesus is the host. Now, in the ancient world, much like today, there could be wealthy people or people that would be the host of people who are very generous, and out of their generosity, they would feed the poor, but they would never eat with them. They'd throw a big meal, but they wouldn't sit and eat with them. Jesus not only welcomes the sinners, he's the host, but he also sits at the table and he eats with them. 
And in the ancient Israeli world, in the Jewish world, what you would discover very quickly is that part of the priestly laws were applied to every person about how you ate. It was very important. Now, Jesus is there, and he's eating with these people, and the religious elite have a problem. So he tells them two parables. Now, with that context, I want us to think carefully about the parables Jesus teaches. What he does not do is get up and rebuke them. He tells a story. Let's read the parable again. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, let's push the pause button. At that moment, the Pharisees are mortified because shepherds are on the lowest social rung. And so Jesus looks at them, and in his parable, he looks right at the Pharisees and says, imagine that you are a shepherd. And they go, no, I'm not. That's disgusting. That's gross. That's low class. That's not me. But Jesus weaves them into the parable and said, oh, no, 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 you're, you're the shepherd. You're the shepherd. Then he goes on to say, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Now, again, to push the pause button. But in the Middle East, even to this day, no one would ever say they lost their sheep. What they would say is the sheep ran away. You don't take the blame for it. It's that the sheep took off and you blame the sheep. Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at the Pharisees and says, you guys are the shepherds and you have lost sheep. In other words, Jesus is beginning to say they're the problem. All of these people he's eating with would have been in the kingdom had they done what was right, but they didn't. And because of them, there are lost sheep in Israel. So let's read on. And he says this, doesn't he leave, meaning the shepherd, doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends, neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, God is more excited about reaching the lost than you all who are righteous. It's stunning. And all of a sudden, we begin to recognize that Jesus is taking the kingdom of God and he's beginning to turn it on its head. He's turning it on its head. So, when we look at our story, what we begin to find is, is that when Jesus looks at the lost, all the lost has to do is be found. That's the role of the lost. All they do is are found. They get lost, then they get found. The shepherd does the seeking, the looking, and the finding, and lifts them up and carries them back to be with the rest of the 99 sheep. The shepherd does it all. All the sheep does is get lost. Now, how many of you have ever gotten lost in your life? You ever been lost? I mean, raise your hand like seriously lost, like panic lost, okay? I remember one time, I'm an outdoorsman, and I was hunting on some property I hadn't been on before. 
And my friend took me in and I was following him. And after about 30 minutes and 40 turns, I knew I was in trouble, like total trouble. And so I'm in the middle of the woods, sun gets dark, and he goes, get down, go over here, make three lights, one rights, one left, and I'll meet you. It's absolutely pitch black, and I'm up in this mountain. And you ever hear that you walk in circles when you get lost? Trust me, I was walking in circles. And so finally what I did was I got on the phone, and I called up Fran, and I said, I'm totally lost. I'm just going to make a bed out of leaves. I'm going to spend the night, and I'm just going to sleep, and that'll be the end of it. And she said, no, you're not. You're coming home. So whatever it takes, get home. So what I did was just start walking until I saw a light. When I saw the light, I just walked towards it, and it was a lot further away than it looked when I first saw it. And I ended up in this front yard, and I took my gear off, and I went and knocked on the door, and I said, I'm lost. And the lady busted out laughing. She said, this happens all the time. All you do is pick up your stuff, go down our driveway. It's about a mile long, and you'll be on such and such street said, thank you very much. Listen, thing of it was, I knew the panic of being lost. But here's the thing about a sheep. When a sheep gets lost, it lies down and can't walk. It can't move. It's frozen with fear. And so all the sheep does is get lost. And by the way, if we think more of ourselves than we should, the Bible teaches us sheep are really stupid and we are sheep. That's what the Bible teaches. We're sheep. We're stupid. We get lost. Now, in the context of our story, what we find is the sheep's role is to get found. It's all it does is it gets found. Now, if we look at our text, let's now go to the lost coin before we close. The parable of the lost coin Let's read it again. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, there's a couple of things to notice in the parable of the lost coin. First of all, God is now paralleled to a woman. You got to know this. The woman is God. That is absolutely scandalous in the ancient world. Pharisees viewed women as second and third class citizens. And Jesus tells a parable where he draws a direct parallel between a woman and God. It's scandalous. Not only this, I have another question. Sheep lose themselves, but can a coin lose itself? Answer? No. So I have a question. How many of you have ever lost your wallet? Raise your hand. Really high. Confess it before God and man. You've lost your wallet. What is the feeling in your gut when you know your wallet's lost? It's literal panic, right? The $1,000 cash you have in there, gone. Credit cards, gone. Everything's gone. And literally, this is the truth. Good friend of mine, Joe, called me literally this past week. And he lives in Seattle, and he said, I lost my wallet. And he said, it's been so exhausting. 
He said, I drove back to the store, looked for it. He said, then I had to get on the phone. I canceled all of my credit cards, reordered them all. Then I have to get a new license. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's just absolutely exhausting. And so then I told him a parable. I said, here's the parable, Joe. Here's the parable. There's this thing called a tile. And a tile is this little credit card size thing you can put in your wallet. And if you lose it, you hear that? There's my wallet right there. I found my wallet. Let me go get it. Excuse me. Here's my wallet right here. I have lost this wallet a dozen times. Then I opened up an app on my phone called Tile, and I hit Find. And then it rang until I found it. It's like a Jesus miracle, (laughs) right? And so I told Joe, I said, if I were you, I would go get a tile. They actually work. But here's the thing. This wallet cannot lose itself. It can't. There are people who are lost to the kingdom of God because of what others have done to them. A coin can't lose itself. Someone did something that creates the coin to be lost. Let me tell you a question. Because that coin is lost, does it have any less value? It's still worth the same as it was when it was lost. Part of the problem with the Pharisees and religious movements is that if you're lost, you're not worth as much. You're worth the exact same amount to God as if you're lost or found. It doesn't matter. And so when we look at our text, what we discover is, is that God in a parable through the lips of Jesus is a woman who seeks for a lost coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And then she gathers her friends together to rejoice with her. Because much like you know that gut punch of losing your wallet, they also knew what it was like to lose a coin. The reality of it is, she only had 10 of them. She had lost 10% of her net worth. And when she found it, she was overjoyed. How do we put feet to our faith with these two parables? Well, Isaiah 53, 6 says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The question is, putting feet to our faith, have you been found? Have you allowed God to find you? Next, Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. Jesus' mission is Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. His method was to eat meals with people who believed they were outside the kingdom. His mission, seek and save the lost. His method was to eat meals with the worst of them. Would you stand with me as we close?
Let's take a moment. Jesus, we lift ourselves up to you. And as with every parable, we must choose which actor in the parable we are. God, reveal to us the truths of these parables for us. In Jesus' name.